the work being done by the partnership teams is really important. You're basically enabling the interaction between these digital tools and the environment. You're enabling the state of the world to improve by building better tools. Welcome to the Partner Programs Podcast. Here's your host, my dad. All right, welcome back to the Partnered 2020 podcast, where we learn what really works inside of partnerships on both ends of the alignment. Today, I'm joined by co-founder and CEO of Integree.io to learn the why, what, and how of integration partnerships strategy using iPaaS solutions. We'll explain more on that versus natively building each one out yourselves. If you are a part of a tech company and trying to grow quickly, this will be a great discussion. Let's hear from Nash first about his place in the ecosystem and why we should listen to him. Thanks, Alex. Uh, I'm Nash. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Integri. And I've been a founder uh, four times as a technical founder as well as CEO. And in my last few companies, uh, we were in the B2B SaaS space and we realized just how critical it was for your B2B SaaS application to talk to all these other applications. Because when we were selling to customers, we just didn't sell things in isolation. We had to make sure that we were connecting and pulling the existing data that they have. And so like all other companies, we first tried to build something ourselves as well as do something on other platforms like Zapier and IFTTT. This is maybe seven, uh, six maybe years ago. And it took us a really long time to get a lot of this stuff uh, up and running. Um, but once we were done, we saw some interesting stuff there. We saw that once we had integrations built on Zapier versus integrations built in-house in-app, like within our own applications, we saw that the users were much more likely to complete creating those integrations if they were simple to use and they were inside our application. So much so that the numbers were crazy, like between 20 to 30 times higher. And so we looked around, we really couldn't find a good company which gave us native integrations. And so uh, we quit uh, that particular startup um, and uh, we started this new um, company, Integri. And so what we're doing here is if you're a B2B SaaS company, we handle all of your integrations needs from start to end, whether that's uh, in-app integration, which means integrations sit inside your application, whether they sit separately on an app directory or a marketplace, we handle all of that. Uh, as the world gets more complex, more apps are out there, your ability to interact with these other applications becomes key for you to make those sales to be successful, to increase your, uh, to decrease your churn and to increase your attention. So that's sort of the, the background genesis here. I love it. Thank you so much for that. So that always helps us understand where you're coming from, what you're doing with your product, where you sit in the space. So I like that articulation. And one of the things that I've seen happen in this industry, you know, this is a discussion that's going to prepare founders and engineers and product people to all get on the same page with the ideation of, hey, integrations drive partnerships, integrations drive growth. How can we all make sure that we're on the same page doing what's best for the company around integrations? That's why this industry exists. But before that, and before we get deeper into the discussion, let's all get on the same page on a few facts. Uh, number one, all departments have an integrations wish list, all departments in a technology company. Uh, this wish list could be um, consolidated from product, engineering, marketing, sales even. 
You know, when your SDRs are on the phone with a potential prospect and they say, hey, if you had this integration, we would buy your product. That product goes into some sort of a backlog. But that backlog is comprised of listings from every department. So that's number one. Fact number one, we'll touch on that later. For many of our partnership teams, this is number two, their integration needs are low on the priority list behind sales, marketing, and customer success. Again, partnerships and what we've heard in our experience is that their integrations needs are lower on the list. And typically priorities go to sales and marketing because they're immediate revenue drivers. Now, number three, integrations are tough. Deciding on them, prioritizing them, getting them coded up and into the UI, creating that quality experience is a very big, heavy lift for any engineering team. So my experience real quick is from both sides. So previous experience was VP of marketing and a number of platforms. These were technology platforms, marketplaces, where I would have to go up against huge timelines to getting these integrations done. Once they're done, I market them, I get the most out of them, and then wait for the next one and the next one. But I always knew that when an integration was done, we had an SOP plan of attack to getting a ton of new business around that integration. So I learned how much it really meant to our marketing efforts. Um, now, on the flip side, partnerships, we have word coming from our partner teams about how big of a challenge it is to make sure that these, these top partnership integrations, the ones that will drive the most new business based on alignment and customer base and the co-marketing that could go into it, how big of a challenge it is to get them done on the engineering side and the backlog and get the entire team, marketing, sales, the CEO, rallied around how much it does for the product and the marketing itself if you have a partner an integration partner that can do a lot for you on the sales, co-marketing, co-selling side up on the list, right? That's the backstory. But let's go back to Nash here. I want to hear from Nash. Why does this newer vertical of IPASS, and give me your opinion on that acronym too while we're at it, why does this exist? Yeah, so um, uh, you're absolutely right about the competing priorities and how long it takes to get those integrations up and running and the importance of integrations. And I feel that each of these sections, each of these particular problems require a little bit of more detail. And we'll get into this as we talk more about this. Um, so we started Integri maybe about three years ago, a little over three years ago. And since then, the state of integrations hasn't really improved that much. There are some platforms which have become a little bit more bigger. But the integrations, the way we do them today, is not really much different than it were maybe three years ago. But on the other hand, the state of the API has rapidly progressed. Uh, working on APIs in 2020 is really complex. Just getting, it's not about getting one integration or 10 integrations. The effort required for the first integration is going to take half of your entire time. And then it takes incrementally less time to do all the other integrations. All of this is to say that uh, the reason why it's a challenge for people in partnerships and other areas to get the integrations out is because traditionally and historically, the amount of effort it takes to get an integration up and running has been really, really large. It's either really expensive, it's either uh, requires a certain amount of momentum, you need to be a certain size to be able to attract either other teams to do it for you, other players to do it for you, or if you're doing it in-house, it requires real dedicated product and engineering effort. 
and very few companies do this. Uh, I mean, if they're not at least 100 plus people, uh, so that rules out most startups, uh, unless the integration is very core to what you're doing, like you're building a platform on top of, let's say, Salesforce, et cetera. And so what uh, the key goal and objective Integrity has, the reason why we exist is we want to reduce the amount of time that it takes for an integration to get up and running. And two, we want to be really, really mindful of the experience the user has when they create that integration. And so we're so focused on this that we coined the whole term around this. Uh, you're familiar with user interface, UI, user experience, UX. We call this IX, integration experience. And in, in this case, uh, integrations are one of those areas where a good experience can really make or break the integration. It's not just the user setting up an integration. That is a key piece. But the other part is how does the integration behave in the background? What happens if the, for example, the service provider is down, the API has changed, or they returned a response which is not really something you expected, or maybe the service is experiencing a lot of load and they're going to throttle you now, right? And so there are all these different things which happen. And the complexity, as I mentioned in 2020, is really, really large when it comes to that. And so what if, we could just take the amount of work and effort it took to do an integration from, let's say the current uh, two months uh, on average, let's say per integration, down to maybe a few uh, days or maybe a few weeks, uh, maybe one or two weeks just to set up the whole platform, but then maybe incrementally a few days to release every new integration. Suddenly, because the cost is so low, the whole decision-making process changes. So you can now accommodate a lot more teams, whether, uh, and you're able to accommodate a lot more priorities. So you're able to accommodate sales, customer success, partnership, and all these other roles, because it's no longer this huge deal where you have to really plan out and dedicate bandwidth to. So that's sort of uh, the core reason uh, why we sort of started the whole story here. And so that's one of the reasons why I dislike the IPaaS term. So IPaaS basically means integration platform as a service. And it's a very large umbrella term. So the integration space is really old. It's maybe 30 plus years old, all the way back in you know old days of IBM and TIPCO, and even before that, where you know you would buy these machines and they would connect these things together. Uh, there'll be physical boxes coming inside, uh, and only a few companies could afford this. And it was a very centralized, IT-driven conversation. Now the whole ball game has changed. IT no longer buys apps, and users do. Line of business users do. And so because there are so many apps out there, it's really important to be able to connect to the core apps within your, uh, what we'd like to call your ecosystem and within your adjacent verticals. And we'll touch upon that as well. And so um, if you're able to achieve uh, uh, this very uh, fast go to market with a core emphasis on integration experience, that completely changes the game of how you approach partnerships, how you approach sales, how you approach all that stuff. So uh, that's sort of the reason why we exist. Awesome. Yeah. So we talked about the conversations, the challenging conversations between CEOs and product and engineering. Let's hear about that real quick, because this is something that I struggled with a lot as well. Talk to me about the three personas that are involved in these new integration conversations. And the three that I would suggest we talk about are those that have the engineering purview, that's product or engineering, that's persona one. Uh, the CEO is persona two or co-founder, someone on the C-suite. And then persona three is anyone that's just trying to bring their customers' feedback into the mix, right? 
That could be marketing partnerships or sales. So when these conversations happen and you are getting a lot of demand for integrations from partnerships, marketing, and sales, a whole list, then you have the product and engineering team who are meant to prioritize stuff based on need. So there's bug fixes right up there at the top. There's uh, maybe this new product release coming that their head's down on. And then there's this enormous list of integrations. And now the CEO has learned about solutions like Integree and brings this conversation to product and engineering. What, if anything, can you talk to about that conversation, about some of the things that get said, some of the maybe misinterpretations and what happens that we can then sort of give the listeners an idea of how that can look and maybe some ways to go about having that conversation correctly. Absolutely. So this is a, a conversation which changes along with two dimensions, but essentially it is the size of your company as well as the kind of product you have. By size of the company, if you're a young startup and uh, very early days up to maybe uh, two dozen people, uh, definitely less than 50 the decisions on what to build and integrations is typically lies with the CEO. And then once you sort of grow beyond this point, the integration decisions typically get routed to the product manager. In younger, smaller companies, there's typically no product manager. The CEO basically has the version one built out. But as the company grows larger, there is a, a, uh, a product uh, head of product which appears over there. And so what happens is... Um, the demand for integration comes from all around. Uh, They're first and foremost driven by the product itself. They understand intuitively uh, what the their own product needs to integrate with for that product to work or uh, be really useful. And then they have uh, integrations coming in from typically sales and customer success. And so sales basically goes and pitches to the market and then they realize that uh, in order for me to close this sale, they need to have these particular integrations in place. And so those folks uh, don't go to engineering, they typically go to product, right? And then uh, customer success is a similar story. If you're trying to expand your account uh, and if your customer has these particular apps, you know you can get a better expansion deal if you're able to do that. And so if your company is larger, maybe more than 150, 200 people, and this number is also going lower, there is typically a head of partnership that appears. That could be a head of ISV, or it could be whatever that you're, uh, depending upon your focus. And so what happens is that person understands if you're able to do these partnerships, we can unlock these benefits, whether these are co-marketing, co-selling, et cetera. And there's some overlap here with marketing as well. Uh, or for example, benefits of latching on to a larger player, you can bring in a larger audience. And we can talk about uh, how to prioritize that and stuff like that. But so all of these, demands of integrations come in, they get all routed to product. Now, product has a list of priorities they want to work on. Uh, like you mentioned, there are bugs, there are features, there's roadmap, they get implemented. Integration sort of becomes like a necessary evil. Like, you know, it's something we have to do, but it's not really something we're very gung-ho about. That's typically has been sort of like this blase attitude uh, a few years ago. But then what happened was that integrations have sort of become a key way that you are able to onboard customers, you're able to reduce churn, and really to become part of your customer's uh, daily workflow, right? And so it, it's becoming more and more core to be able to do so. And, um, and so uh, because the product folks get all these requests, they have to do this internal prioritization. Now, whatever that matrix is, and we can talk about that, um, as any person requesting an integration, 
you want to make sure that you understand what that matrix for decision making is. And typically, it's uh, it's pretty similar in all those areas. But in some way or the other, you need to make sure that the integration you're requesting has an impact on the companies, either the OKRs or the KPIs, whatever uh, the uh, KPI system you guys are using, the indicator system using, or you know there's an impact uh, on the bottom line. And there are different ways sort of looking at uh, different lenses. So if you're able to speak in that language of the product manager, if you're able to touch upon those particular things, you're, you'll, uh, you'll find it very, uh, your integrations getting prioritized a lot more frequently and a lot more successfully. So that's one. The other thing is um, you don't want to go to engineering typically with these integrations because engineering typically will do uh, given what the roadmap is. And one of the things that we've discovered is in our early days, we used to try to sell to CTOs about integrations and so on. And it typically wasn't really that um, big of a sell in that area. What really um, unlocked integrations was when you talk to product managers and when we mentioned how um, you're able to fulfill both the fact that you can get more integrations out without actually sacrificing engineering bandwidth away from these features and roadmap, that's really attractive. And so that's sort of the idea there. Now, if you are a CEO, you typically have three different paths to choose from. One is the classic build versus buy, right? And so, as I mentioned before, building integrations today is now a really high bar. You have to do a whole bunch of technologies. And just briefly touching upon this, um, there are maybe 10 different authentication systems used by different APIs, from OAuth to API key to JWT to all that stuff, right? And then there are three to four major styles of APIs, like the REST APIs, the GraphQL, there's async API coming up. So there's so many different styles, and there's a whole class of implementations. And then each company you talk to, each partner has their own uh, SDK, and they could be in Java, they could be in JavaScript. And so if you start going down this rabbit hole, a lot of people underestimate just how complicated building integration is. So once they go down the rabbit hole, they realize they have to spend a lot more energy in this. And so they end up wasting time and money on this. And so I believe that in today, in 2020, if you're doing an integration, it just makes a lot more sense not to do it in-house. You might want to do it with a partner. Now, so when you come to a partner, there are now these two flavors, one of them which everybody is familiar with. These are off-site third-party platforms. This is Zapier, Integromat, IFTTT, all those guys. Now, these are great platforms in two ways. One is that these platforms are large enough in themselves that connecting to them brings you an audience there. And so that's always a good thing to have. And so but what, what we typically see is the users of these typical platforms, and these are the classic iPaaS platforms, are prosumers in nature. These are people who might even be paying money for these platforms. And so uh, they are fairly technically sophisticated. The problem comes is when you as a SaaS company are selling to non-technical users, maybe you're targeting SMB companies, maybe you're targeting people who are in HR, maybe they're in finance, people who typically don't necessarily want to wrangle uh, integrations. They don't want to understand what all this you know, what a trigger is, what an action is, what is the HTML you got to put in here. And, you know, if something goes wrong, because you still have to design the flow, you still have to design the algo. And whereas Zapier does make it for tools like Zapier, make it simple to set up very basic level integrations, maybe one or two steps long. For anything more complicated, you need to have technical expertise and it sort of breaks down quickly. And so uh, Zapier is fine if your integrations are very basic, very simple, and your users 
can deal with the complexity of buying another platform, right? And so these were the options until uh, sort of uh, V came along, Integrity comes along. And what Integrity does is says, hey, what if you could build integrations which are part of your application such that the user can tell the difference, it uses your UI, and it has the same UX that your customers love, that's why they're using your application. But also, if the entire setup process was as simple as possible, the number of clicks is maybe just one, just 10% of what they might need, maybe from an external platform. And so if you're able to both respect the product's UI UX, you're able to comply to that company's engineering uh, compliances, and you're able to do this at the fraction of the cost and at the fraction of the time, it's a win-win across all of these dimensions. The problem is this is a really, really hard problem. Uh, like I mentioned, because you're working with all these different moving parts, many authentications, API types, uh, APIs start changing, companies do a major upgrade every once a year, they do major changes every other month. And so um, a company which could actually uh, put their money where their mouth is has been really hard. And that's why it's taken us this long as well. Um, and so our technology, as an example, is you can embed it inside your application and it then uses your application's UI. It uses your application's CSS, its HTML, and all that stuff. And so it's it's actually a pretty sophisticated piece of technology. But I think we're at a point now where you can get a fantastic, seamless experience, complex integrations where your users can, within four clicks, import all of their data from an existing system. They can map their custom fields. They can set up a real-time two-way sync. And all these things, third-party offsite uh, integration platforms don't do because it's just too complicated to do that. So just as an example, to set up any of these things, if you were to do this in any of these platforms, you would end up creating what are essentially uh, 90 to 100 individual steps. And as you can understand, that goes beyond the pay grade of what a typical end user might be able to do. So that's sort of the picture here. And so build versus buy, you want to make sure that uh, you are aligned on the cost and time. And then you want to be aligned on the internal KPIs when you're pitching. And so we can now talk about maybe things around prioritization and some of the things that goes over there, but uh, but that's sort of like the, the 50,000 foot view. Let me try to unpack that just a little bit. I mean, the biggest things that I think come out there are the UI aspect, you know, starting from the end and moving back into your conversation, the UI aspect is super critical to understand that diverting a user to another URL in a different UI that you don't manage and then bringing them back, um, that experience is obviously not ideal, especially if they have to go and register for a third-party application, then come back into your environment. So what we're talking about here is is fully native where you know i would have no idea that integrate is powering the integration setup that i am experiencing um, that is very important and i don't think enough teams fully understand because they have not demoed integrate they don't know what it does so the whole ecosystem is very convoluted in a sense where there's those old mule softs of the world that do their thing there's obviously zapier which has an amazing product for what it is and then there's this new world of these native appearing but fully customized experiences around integrations uh, that open your app up to the entire ecosystem almost overnight. Um, it's a very hard thing for most people to understand, especially CEOs that are busy doing everything in the company. 
um, and even for engineers that just haven't seen it yet. They haven't experienced it yet. Um, so huge upside. Um, the challenge there is obviously around what um, the internal conversations, how they happen, um, whether or not this is something that is going to be good for your business at this stage. Um, but anyways, the whole point there is make sure you fully understand what this means, understand all of your options, have the conversations with product engineering, include marketing and sales, and do a pros and cons analysis of your entire setup. The backlog that you expect to have in the coming year, what sort of engineering resources are going to be available, and all of the pros and cons on the UI side, on the experience side for creating these customized integration experiences with a third-party app. Make sure marketing's there to let everybody understand what the potential for that integration means for sales, for marketing, for leads, for demand gen. Uh, and then make sure that engineering and product are there to understand and, and really conceptualize what it would mean for them in their roadmap if a third party was involved. So create all the pros and cons. There are cons, of course. You want to have those conversations, bring up all these conversations, but really understand what it means for the product agenda. And I want to read something that was posted actually in our private Slack group of partners recently. And the backstory here is we have a partner that has been struggling to get team buy-in around the program in general. And team buy-in means obviously budget, uh, help from marketing on co-marketing, help from sales on co-selling. And what they did is they decided to prove the potential for this partner program and prove not just potential, but what it means to the company today. So this is what he said, and this is a quote. So try to follow me here, but Nash, I want your opinion on this too. But the quote reads like this, the data we are using to drive internal engagement from our customer success and account executives is this. Merchants who have at least one integration enabled are 10.2 times more likely to retain annually. Data scrubbed was 750 merchant accounts who started with us early 2018 through May 2020. Take away the takeaway, the key takeaway is run the one plus year data to see how many merchants have integrations turned on along with how many of these merchants are still with the company. Use that data to evangelize your merchant facing departments to engage with SPIFs and educate content around the org's strategic partners. Important to note, it's taken about a month for leaders over customer success departments to fully digest this data and convert our ask for engagement into initiatives that make up their quarterly OKRs moving into this new quarter. So the synopsis is anyone that has integrations turned on in this particular software are 10.2 times more likely to retain for a full year than those that do not have the integrations. Um, that is an important data point that's specific to this org. It could go up in your org, but it'd be important to understand as a team what integrations mean to your organization. Uh, but any comments on that quote, Nash? Absolutely, and I feel for uh, this particular person. Um, so if you look at the world of, uh, of 
tech industry, there are typically two ways that you approach things, right? One is sort of like the Google-ish way where you want to have data for everything. You want data to back up all of your decisions, which has its cons as well. Uh, there's a famous story where they had to pick up blue color for Gmail and Google ha had 21 shades picked up and they had to literally run an experiment and A-B test for 21 different blue shades to see which one worked. And so uh, that happens when you're basically more bottoms up. You want to sort of d drive decisions from the base or wherever that you're working from to convince management. The other is sort of like the Apple way of product design where the management has conviction. They say, you know, this is what we feel is right for our customers. This is what is the, and this is an a, a opinionated take. Uh, we understand not everybody might get it, but this as, as leadership, we want to go down this direction. And it's much easier to work when your leadership is aligned. But however, um, you still need a combination of both. Even if you have leadership buy-in, even if you put out these integrations, do these integrations really perform well? Is this really going to benefit the company? And so companies like ours, um, we work around uh, gathering this insight from the industry and uh, sort of uh, figuring out the impacts to the bottom line here. And so the numbers that these guys share is pretty phenomenal. I'll share some more here. There's uh, work done by uh, Price Intelligently, Patrick's company. And so what they did was they surveyed Slack users and they surveyed 1,800 customers of Slack. And what they found out in general, and these are paid customers, uh, companies that are paying for Slack. Um, the companies, um, so what they found out was that a very core, most popular integration on Slack is Google Drive. And if your company did not have Google Drive enabled, your average uh, seat that you're paying for was around $5.73, right? But if you had Google Drive integration set up, your, uh, the average uh, seat was paying about $10. So there's like a, an immediate 2x jump here uh, in the revenue bottom line, right? And um, there's some other interesting research which has been done in this area as well. One trend that we've seen in the industry from maybe four years ago is that the willingness to pay has dropped down. So if you were talking to uh, in 2016, you know, uh, the willingness to pay was typically higher. But then what has happened is that the SaaS companies, they've been giving uh, free more free trials. They're making their software easier to use so such that it is uh, more cheaper to deploy. You don't need customer success. You don't need an onboarding team. And so the cost of deploying software is becoming cheaper. And so the entry-level buyers who are buying your software or your category of software for the first time, they expect to drive the software for free. They expect a free tier. They expect a low margin, like a, so not a low margin, but a low expensive um, entry tier. And so since 2016, the willingness to pay uh, has gone down by maybe 70%. And this is, again, data from Price Intelligently. Uh, and that has significantly dropped. And this is uh, data that they've gathered from half a million uh, respondents and users. On the other hand, if you have uh, users who have set up integrations, the willingness to pay goes significantly up. And so the numbers that is here is that if you have between one to three integration, the willingness to pay goes up by 10%. So willingness to pay or WTP is a key metric which basically tells you about how, um, uh, from a free trial, how uh, would um, what's the probability of them converting to a pay tier? or from a one lower tier to a higher tier. So the higher WTP, willingness to pay, the better. And so uh, if you keep on going from uh, more integrations, if they have 11 plus integrations set up, the willingness to pay is between the 20 and 35 range.
percentage more than baseline. And so number of integration has a direct impact in that sense. Um, there was also an interesting study done between Typeform and Zapier, as a matter of fact. And so what Zapier did was for customers who bought, sorry, what Typeform did was for customers who bought a uh, bought their Typeform, uh, uh, the upgrade to Pro, um, they basically compared what happened to those cohorts if they had an integration setup with Zapier versus if they had no integration setup. And what they found out was that the average uh, the churn for those accounts which had no integration setup was around 25%. But whereas those guys who had Zapier and that integration setup, their churn was actually lower as 15%. So there's like a 40% uh, improvement in churn. Now, um, churn is an important metric. This is good for retention. But when you're trying to make a pitch, you want to make a uh, you want to talk from the benefits perspective from in terms of impact to bottom line and sort of in that way. Retention is typically, what we've seen is when you talk about retention, it's it's a little lower down the line when it comes to making that investment. Uh, so you want to see the benefits more and churn is typically lower on that list, but it's definitely there. But these are some of the figures and there's a ton more as well. Uh, maybe we'll share a link to the blog post uh, where we talk about a summary of some of the roundup across the industry on what the impact is on the bottom line. But these are, you know, in our own figures, you are saying there's a 10x increase. We've seen 30x uplifts in integration completion. And that's really good because if a user completes an integration, this is versus a uh, offsite integration platforms, uh, any offsite integration platform. The benefits of that is that those users who set up an integration have a, again, a lower churn and they have a higher revenue. And so, uh, it overall has a really fantastic impact on the bottom line. So whether your product, whether you're the CEO, whether you're across the board, integrations completely make sense. And native, uh, because of the fact they have such a high completion rate, they have a 10x impact on the bottom line. That is a lot of info. And again, you don't have to write all this down. We'll have a little bit of notes on this, but we'll have links to all of this and some of the quotes that we're mentioning so that you and your team can decide if this is a path that you want to take. Uh, but continuing on to our conversation, we've mentioned the how, we've mentioned the why, or some of the how, but I think we've got to dig deeper in the how. Okay, so let's go into this. Uh, I believe we've talked about prioritization a little bit, uh, but let's talk about prioritization and then dovetail that into uh, the marketing-focused integrations. So the question, back to you, Nash, is how do I prioritize my integrations? And then the follow-up to that is when does the company start developing the need for marketing-focused integrations versus CS and sales-focused? Absolutely. And so the way I look at this is uh, there are maybe these three or four broad buckets. So just going through this list here, um, the first and foremost is that um, are these what I refer to as product-based integrations. These are integrations which... Um, just makes sense for your product itself uh, as users of the product. And so a very simple way of looking at it is, is two. One is, uh, who are your competitors? You want to actually integrate with them. And the reason is uh, a lot of the new customers that you will drive are from competition. And so with those kind of uh, uh, companies, you want to provide a way to import data and you might want to have a two-way sync uh, ability. So if let's say I am, uh, I don't know, a company from MailChimp going to another company, which is also a mail automation, uh, I want to be able to just pull in my data without any uh, hurdles. So 
the first is sort of competition based, right? Uh, and this is something from a product lens. The other is from adjacent categories. And so if you are a CRM, there are a number of natural complements to what you're doing. So if you're a CRM, if I'm a sales guy, I'm, I'm sitting on a CRM, I will want to connect my email. I will want to connect my task manager. I might want to connect my documents and I might want to connect my calendar, you know. So these are four or five broad categories. And so you want to take some of the top layers from each of these categories, let's say from task management, from email, from document, from signing, from contracting, all these different other SaaS companies. And so um, it makes a lot of logical sense to be able to do so. Again, so these, this is sort of like a product lens as well, but even in your own decision-making from a partnership perspective, you want to keep this in mind. And the reason is, um, which is uh, what is essentially um, a, a market-based approach. And so that approach there is if you want to um, go with integrations, which are basically driven by the market, or let's say you want to partner with somebody to do so. What you want to do is uh, you want to find a partner who uh, has a large audience overlap. And like these natural complements, for example, if you're a task manager and I'm a CRM, uh, I think there's a lot of natural complements here. And it's really one plus one equals three here. I can help you, you can help me. And so we do a lot of, a ton of user sharing. We do a ton of um, growth with each other. We can do cross uh, marketing and stuff like that. And so this is within both the domain of partnerships as well as within the domain of market, uh, of, sorry, of, uh, yeah, of marketing. And so um, that uh, natural audience fit is a really important thing to consider because if there is no audience overlap and, and it's a very different audience and they might not really understand your product, that effort is going to go to waste. So you want to be careful about that. And so even if there is an audience overlap, the other really key factor is how big is that partner, right? And so uh, there are uh, maybe 300 task managers out there um, and you want to start up with the ones which, and the, so, and the effort to integrate with all of them is almost the same. They all have an API, they all have an authentication, they all have a use case. You gotta go through all of the motions. The amount of effort does not reduce uh, with the player. So if it's a small company or a huge company, Typically, integration takes the same amount of time. So if you're mindful of that, you want to basically go for the lowest hanging fruit, which is an audience, which is uh, of a larger uh, size, right? So you want to prioritize by size as well, essentially getting higher bang for your buck. And so I, I'd say that that's some of the lens which um, people from um, partnerships should look at that. And then after that, I put sales and customer success. Because if you look at this whole spectrum, the competition and the adjacent categories, these are sort of throwing a wide net. Um, you're able to bring in a lot of users. And then the um, market-based integrations where there's a large partner audience overlap, that's also a broad net. That, that single, for example, uh, partnership might bring in thousands of users as well, right? But when you go to customer success, typically customer success is much more slower and they will bring a use case, which is typically one customer or two customers, right? And so in that entire sort of totem pole, these guys end up becoming uh, very deprioritized because um, to convince product to uh, perform an integration with just, which is going to only benefit two or three customers is a really hard sell. And so unless it's a strategic customer or a strategic sort of a partnership where there are other benefits, it's really hard for customer success to do so. My advice to customer success is to basically keep an eye out on 
trends inside their customers. So just don't focus on a one-off customer thing. You want to look at is, for example, do a lot of your customers have Slack? Or maybe they're using some other common software, which might make sense for you to reach out to. So you might want to have a general approach there. And when you go and talk to your um, product folks, you can say, hey, this is what we're observing in the market. And the same goes with sales. It's almost the same process. Um, sales, however, has um, sales uh, deals with a lot more people a lot more quicker than customer success. A sales guy could maybe deal with tens of leads within a week. And so they're able to collect a lot more data faster than customer success, faster than product. And so when a, when a sales guy comes to product and says, hey, I've been talking to the market, and a lot of these the customers that we're targeting, they're using this XYZ software. Uh, I feel that has a lot of benefit for our product. The product people always want to look at data at the market. And so if a sales guy is keep on coming back and saying, hey, you really got to integrate with Slack, you got to really integrate with Salesforce. Um, and we're seeing this being demanded from our customer. And here's a direct code here. This is, you know, Alex from XYZ Co. And they're saying, you know, if, if you could integrate with our Salesforce instance, we would buy this tomorrow, something like that. And that really helps you build up your case, right? Um, and so so that's sort of like the a bit of the hierarchy here. But uh, essentially, it's it's what, you know, works in general human interactions and what works in human relationships. In order for me to convince you to do something, I need to empathize with you. I need to understand what is important to you. And I need to make sure that whatever I'm requesting shoes in into that. And so uh, understanding those KPIs, maybe it's it's uh, in driving up your daily active users and stuff like that. Integrations definitely help in that. So all of that is sort of the the important parts in that. Very good insight. Okay, let's move on. Let's get into a little bit of the UX. Um, first, you want uh, well. Let's 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 talk about this real quick. So when. And how does the partnerships team start influencing the integration? So uh, before we talk about UX, I think what the people listening to this primarily will want to know is if I'm on the partnership side, I'm not engineering, I'm not product, I'm not marketing, I'm not sales. I'm out to prove this whole concept of integrations. And I need to sort of come into the backlog and really make sure that my suggestions are looked at in the same lens that I look at them from the partnerships to, to achieve my OKR. So maybe how can I democratize my suggested partnerships in a way, if that makes sense? So here's a bit of a dirty secret. Uh, engineering doesn't really like working on integrations. I mean, uh, the best integrations, sorry, the best engineers in your company that don't uh, work on integrations. Um, and even if, if a good engineer was working on integrations, they don't wake up every day and saying, hey, I'm going to work on this integration number five today, which is essentially the same thing, just different API. And, you know, the next week I'm going to work on integration number six and the next month, number seven, number eight. It does get monotonous. It does get repetitive. Um, there are changes, obviously. There are challenges. It is hard. It's a lot of hard work. So engineering typically doesn't like working on integrations as well. So um, so they will try to deprioritize that. Product understands this is important to do. Uh, and uh, what they don't want to take bandwidth away from that. So uh, by changing the conversation, by uh, having a, a way to to sort of solve both of these problems, uh, if you are going to take this uh, integrations away from engineering and uh, you want to take this hassle away from product by having this sort of other platform, that really uh, helps. And so here is how I like to think about integrations in general. Uh, and here's the broad strokes. 
uh, when you think about talking to in, any person in decision making and product in, in integrations, what you want to do is first you have to understand what the use case is. A use case is typically saying um, here is an app which is a contact which has contacts. It could be serum, it could be your email, whatever. And what we want to do is we want to implement data import, contact import, and we want to set up a real-time two-way sync. That is what we refer to as a use case, right? And so within that use case, you can now have any CRM application as long as that use case has been understood, right? And so the benefit of having that conversation is product just needs to give in their input on the use case. Once the use case has been discussed and sort of agreed upon by product, product never has to uh, give you permission for or for another integration because the pattern is exactly the same. So for example, doing a two-way sync and data import with Salesforce is going to be the same from a UI UX perspective with any other CRM. So if you have this conversation uh, and you understand what that requirements are um, and you, you have a platform which is able to implement those product requirements, you can now go ahead and simply bring in these applications within that area. So use case, you have the conversation. Um, platforms like ours, Integri, uh, have the ability to implement use cases. So once that use case is there, then you can go and bring in those other apps. For example, if you want to do an integration with you know, a CRM XYZ. Um, and so from there, you're able to, uh, when you bring them in, uh, if the process, that is a purely engineering problem. Engineering needs to get this up and running. And so again here, um, if the platform itself has the ability to take an app, take a use case, mate them together and generate the integration, you have the best of both worlds. And so that's what typically uh, we do in this case. And so what this does is it solves two problems. One is it takes, it reduces the amount of bandwidth product has to spend on each integration. They only have to do it broadly or for the use case. Um, and then engineering uh, just has to approve the general, you know, whatever the um, compliances are there. And so once that is done, it gets really, really easy to sort of roll out these new integrations. So that's sort of the approach um, we recommend that you take. You you finally you understand the use case, and then you, uh, you figure out a way to implement them by using tools like ours. You might still do it in-house. You might do it some other way, but that's some of the way that uh, we do that. And sorry, did I miss the question or did I answer the question there? I think you answered it just fine. Um, I think just that two minutes there was perfect. So um, thank you for that answer. Let's move on. I think we have a couple more to tackle here while we still have your time. So now that we know what the partnerships team should look at, how they should sort of structure that uh, integrations backlog request, um, how to personalize your integrations directory. That's the next section uh, that we want to talk about. Um, IX is the keyword integration experience, but that lends itself to the directory. That's the first page that you land on. You've got a bunch of logos and some keywords there and maybe a search function. Um, but how do you personalize that? What do you do? What are some things that I can do as the CEO, ways that I can think about making sure that that first touch, that experience is right? Absolutely. So there are um, two or three ways of rolling out an integration. One is in-app, like the ones we mentioned, where they're living inside natively inside your application. Uh, that one is uh, involved. It requires to make changes inside your application, embedding code, stuff like that. Another really fast and fantastic way is through what is in app directory. And so this is typically a subdomain, for example, uh, integrations.yourcompany.com. And this is really fast to set up because uh, it has 
just very few touch points. You just have to set up um, your authentication and some branding stuff and you're, uh, you're up and running. Um, the way I like to look at this is um, five or six years ago uh, when you know Slack started, Slack spent millions of dollars building out their entire application directory, right? Um, imagine getting that same quality of the app directory which Slack has built or Salesforce App Exchange has built within a few uh, hours, within a few, you know, in some cases, just you know, a, a few days, and having the same experience like you see the logos of other companies and partners and apps and the ability to click on them and to see a landing page and to see feedback and stuff like that. And um, that's what essentially the app directory concept is. Um, and this is something which uh, we provide as well. And the idea here is that um, this gives you both the uh, SEO. So for example, people search your company's name with another partner or they're able to search category, for example, CRM integrations. Your app directory comes on top automatically because it's better SEO and so on and so forth. Uh, we, as a platform, we do both things. We give you the app directory as well as the underlying actual integration as well. So it's very tightly done. It's very neat. The UI UX is, is really well uh, thought about. And so when it comes to personalization, um, what happens is two things. Uh, because the app directory understands who the user is, we can actually personalize the integrations based upon your pricing tier. So for example, there's a user who's on the free tier versus a user who's on a pay tier, or let's say the lower paying tiers. You can show these are the integrations which are available to you. These are available, you can check them out, but to set them up, you have to upgrade, right? And so that's uh, stuff over there as well. And then there are a whole bunch of other patterns which open up. Um, we integrate with your analytics platform. So if you're using Google Analytics or et cetera, you can actually see what the actual traffic is coming in, who are the people and what are they looking at. And so um, an integration platform like this, uh, the really cool thing is it requires very little engineering involvement. It requires um, a, a product approval. And by doing so, you know, with the customer, with the colors and customizations and branding, you can get, um, this is a, a low hanging fruit you can get up and running with. And once you have that in place, you are able to roll out integrations. Now you can, what the way we do this is you can aggregate the integrations you show to your users across the board. Uh, you can either show integrations built by your own team, built by us on the, our platform, built by maybe Zapier uh, or Integromat and, uh, you know, or just third parties and just linking to them. So we, when we look at personalization, we sort of look at it in that perspective. And that's what an app directory looks like. And, um, and I think it's a easy way to get up and running. Um, and you can always uh, uh, mature that. You can sort of graduate that from an app directory to maybe some integrations going in-app if they're using even more heavily and so on. Okay, perfect. Awesome. All right. So let's get this last couple answered so we can make sure to round this out. So now that we know what should be in an integration directory, uh, let's move on to the happy medium, the happy medium for native and iPass. So you're going to run into walls with certain use cases. You're going to run into product. You're going to run into engineering. You're going to run into differences of opinion, but there's always a happy medium. So let's talk about those that would like to understand if there is a way to use XYZ for native, use XYZ for iPass. Is there a happy medium? So as a matter of fact, one of the things we're doing within this week and next week is we're launching something called the Hyperion project. And what this does is that it reduces the amount of investment and risk needed to start um, a integrations project like this. 
And so what we're doing in this is two things. If you are a, uh, a SaaS company, which is, um, let's say, on the younger side, uh, you, we basically do the app directory for you. We spin it out for you. Uh, we do it at a, um, this is a, an entry-level product, so it's at the lowest possible price point. And then what we do is we give you integrations out of the box with top 10 of um, our SaaS application partners. And so what that allows you to do is uh, just out of the box, you're able to set up an app directory, and then you have live running integrations for your users, which are complicated. Like they are data importing, they're data syncing, and these are with the top 10 uh, partners. So this is typically CRMs. This is around uh, customer contact information or stuff like that. Um, and so that's uh, a, definitely a project you should reach uh, out to us for. And if you're interested, you can go to integrity.io slash Hyperion, and we'll share the link, I think, in the notes later on as well. On the flip side, if you are a larger company uh, and you want your integrations, your, your app, to be embedded inside all these other companies um, with our in-app technology, uh, you can join the Hyperion from that side as well. So you can offer your APIs. And what Integrity does is, without any effort on your end, we'll take your APIs, and then we'll take these uh, younger companies which are coming in. And in the app directory that we spin up for them, your integrations will be there, and they will be available uh, for the users to interact and to basically send and receive data from your application. What this does is that it reduces the upfront risk here. Uh, there are a few requirements. You need to have an API. You need to have all that stuff there. So I'd say uh, this is sort of like the uh, the best of both worlds. You get native integrations. You get an app directory. You get um, integrations with these uh, top 10 highly trafficked uh, SaaS applications. And you get this at a fraction. So if you want to do a, a POC, a proof of concept, if you want to do like a will this, won't this work sort of a thing, and you want to get started with this uh, without spending any significant bandwidth from engineering or even from product, uh, this is a, a, a really cool way of getting to do that, just to sort of testing it out, testing out the waters. We also offer a, uh, a developer mode where we don't charge you anything. You can play around with the technology for as long as you want. You can just you know make something to show it to your management uh, just to build up your internal case. Because there is a lot of, uh, uh, there's new stuff, you know, moving parts here, but also you're asking a few people to maybe make a leap of faith. You might not have all the data. So Hyperion is designed to reduce the amount of work you might have to do as a partnership manager and to really jumpstart uh, having an integration marketplace and app directory up and running. Yeah, that's super helpful. I mean, you know, it's hard enough to have the conversations, but if you don't have the full scope, the holistic scope of what are all the options, all of the information, um, you know, it's, it's hard to have. So, you know, I definitely suggest involving Nash in some of these conversations. If you do have them internally and you feel like you're going to run into these walls, um, maybe see if Nash is available to jump on and have the conversations with you. And um, he can talk through some of the stuff one-on-one -on -one or with your team. Uh, now, Nash, I think we have two more questions here. Hopefully we don't run out of time, but how do I bring all of this up to my developers and product team or product team? So we have everything now. We've got our list of priorities. We've got all the information. Uh, we've maybe had a couple conversations in our department, and now we want to bring this new potential solution up to our product team. Um, how can I go about that without stepping on toes, without making it seem like there's going to be just this third party that's taking over everything that we've worked so hard to build? 
what should I say? How should I say it? Tell me what it looks like. And, and so it's sort of like the summary of everything we've talked about so far. So to summarize, you want to make sure that you, when you talk to people in product, you are aligned with what they care about. So you are talking about uh, bringing in a partner who are partners who have an overlap with the audience, uh, which has uh, features which your users would uh, appreciate, uh, which will impact the bottom line. So we've given you some data here. You can use some of that data. Uh, you can arm yourself with that to build up your business case for that. Uh, you can also even talk to people in sales and, and customer success to see what they're seeing. And if there are some companies that they're seeing, you can sort of use that to build up, uh, you know, from your own partnership list. You can sort of use that to build a common case from that as well. And then when you go to product, uh, the products might want to do this, but they're constrained on engineering bandwidth and uh, on uh, on the product bandwidth. And so over there, the idea of a use case as well as having a quick implementation uh, system in place allows you to sort of have a conversation where you say, well, you know, what if you were only instead of dedicating three FTEs, full-time employees to this, equivalents to this, what if we can just do this with a 0.25, just, you know, one engineer working one day a week with this uh, external party to be able to do so. And we can do this in a de-risk fashion. We can do a proof of concept and there's very little bandwidth which engineering will have to spend. And the end results are going to comply with um, the UI UX that product has built uh, in the application. And so what you're doing here is you're trying to hit on all of these check marks. Uh, you're trying to check off the business case. You're trying to check up the, the, the user UX case, the, the, what prod cares about. You're, you're checking off the engineering bandwidth uh, case. You're saying, you know, you can save you bandwidth as well. And so if you bring all this here and then you have a fast way and a low risk way of doing that, it sort of builds up a much better case and it's hard to say no to. That's really well said. All right, so to round out this questions, um, I think we have just a, a final uh, call to action, if you will. You know, obviously check out Integree. We're going to link to the website. But, you know, if you're putting yourselves in the shoes of partner managers first and then the team, I mean, give them any final um, big picture thought and maybe some, some ways to think about this entire ecosystem and where it's going and and why it's something that they should seriously consider right now. So I'll just end this on a philosophical note. Uh, and the way I look at uh, what we're doing um, is, is really important because if you, uh, if you look at how humanity has progressed, it's by building better tools. And so we build hammers and chisels to extend the reach of our hands. And as time went by, you know, we build excavators, we build these bulldozers, and now we can move entire mountains. Similarly, you know, we, we develop the wheel, we develop cars to extend the reach of our feet. And so until very recently, we weren't really extending the reach of our mind. And really apps are mental tools which allow us to extend the reach of our mind. You want to create a task, you create it using an app in this virtual space. You want to reach out to a customer, you send a message through that, right? And that's how we as humanity has progressed by building bigger and better tools. And that's what's going to take us to the next level here. Now, each tool's job is to help you manipulate the environment. Hammers are really good at you know, breaking things down. Chills are good at that. And so similarly, if you're building a virtual tool like a CRM, etc., you need a way to interact with the virtual environment. And that means dealing with all these hundreds of different data silos, hundreds of different applications. And so if you are a SaaS company, you are a tool builder. 
in Integri and our mission is to make sure that your ability to interact with the environment is easy. You're able to manipulate the environment. You're able to change the world around you for in the direction that you want to take it to. And that's why I think um, the work being done by the partnership teams is really important. You're basically enabling the interaction between these digital tools and the environment. You're enabling the state of the world to improve by building better tools. And I think that's a really important thing for us to do. And so that's why we exist. That's why people in partnership exist. And I think it's a really important um, place for us to be in this point in time. I love that. Call to arms. You partnership people should be the first line of defense and your team should be pushing this conversation. You guys have the most to gain uh, for the company uh, by getting this integration directory set up, by getting these native integrations done, or sorry, these uh, third-party powered integrations done, if that is a direction that you want to take, or take the happy medium and go part native, uh, part third party. But either way, I mean, Nash is a wealth of information. You should reach out to him and have a conversation with him about what they are up to and what they've built for you and if it's a good solution to look into. So Nash, thank you again for the time. It's always great to catch up. And we have the accelerator session on this very topic. So if you're listening and you're in the accelerator, definitely create some questions for Nash and uh, submit those when we have that recording. Absolutely. And so we're uh, uh, giving a ton of interesting benefits to if you're part of the accelerator. And so Hyperion is a, a scaled down version of some of the benefits we're giving uh, to the general public. But if you're part of the accelerator, a lot of the benefits here we give to you, a lot of these, the conversation we had today is covered in that as well. Uh, and so, and, and if you are interested, if you just want to drop a line, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Nash on Twitter. I'm user number 800 on Twitter very early on. <laughs> and uh, or you can always go to our website, integrity.io, and you can just connect on, uh, sign up over there, uh, and somebody will reach out from our end and just to take you through the whole process. And always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And I will link to all of your stuff. So check out Nash, check out Integree, connect with him on LinkedIn, send him an email, send him a message, and get affiliated. Thank you, sir. Take care. That's the way our business is going to work. And that's the way to grow your business.